thank you very much, Mike. Thank you for, uh, for reading. Let's pray, shall we, as we come to look at that uh, reading that we've just had read. Uh, Lord God, we praise you that it is Trinity Sunday and we remember that you are indeed Trinity. We thank you, God the Father, for calling us to be your people uh, from before uh, we could even uh, be aware of that. Uh, Thank you for God the Son. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, for his death on the cross that makes it possible for us to be your people. And thank you for God the Spirit. Thank you uh, for his empowering, speaking to us by uh, the word. And we pray that that would be true for us uh, now. As we look at these verses, we would, uh, by your spirit, we would would hear you speak to us. Uh, Convict us afresh of the need to be unified and the need to grow. And we pray that you do this uh, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, um, I don't know if you've heard this story before, but apparently there was a family walking home from church uh, one Sunday morning. Uh, It's probably fair to say it hadn't been the best service. And uh, they were making that fairly clear. Uh, Dad thought the music was out of tune and was whinging about the uh, musicians. Uh, Mum thought the songs didn't fit with the sermon and they'd been badly chosen. Uh, The eldest son thought the sermon was boring and he'd fallen asleep in it. Uh, The daughter thought the prayers were wrong and the person giving them was a complete hypocrite. Uh, Only the youngest son had anything positive to say at all. Uh, his words and his take on the service was, uh, was this. He said, I don't know what you're complaining about. I thought it was a pretty good show for a pound. <laughs> I don't know if it's true, but my guess is that all of us have probably had a similar feeling at some point uh, walking home from church. Yeah, we've got a nod down the front there. Uh, it isn't always how we would like it to be. My guess is that actually if we went out onto the streets of Norwich and we asked people what their vision of church was, they'd probably come up with something fairly similar to that. Bit dull, bit poor, irrelevant maybe, hypocritical at worst. Uh, perhaps it's something to go along to if you've got nothing best to do, but it's nothing more than that. But that picture couldn't be any further removed from the picture that the Bible has of what it means to be the church, the people of God. And there's nowhere where that picture is painted more clearly and more vividly than St Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Uh, if we'd been reading this letter, we would have known this. But the, uh, the first half of the letter is, is Paul explaining that God's grand plan for the universe is to create a brand new people. God's new people, God's new uh, society. It's a people who are for his praise. There are people from every single corner of the world, uh, all races, all cre- all backgrounds, all colours. They're there, united, to be a people for the praise of God. And it happens because they're reconciled with God through the work of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for them. It's not something that any of us have a right to. It's not something we can buy. It's not something that we can earn. It's solely through God's amazing mercy and kindness. And Paul explains that the church, you and me and and all those who call themselves to be Christians who love the Lord Jesus Christ, we are the first buds of that great plan that God has. We're not simply uh, another club who happen to meet on a Sunday morning. We pay our subs, we turn up, we do our thing, we go home again. That's not what it's about. We're part of God's grand plan for eternity. We are the first instalment of his great plan, the way the world is going. 
And Paul explains this because he knows that when we grasp our identity, when we grasp who we are in Christ, then that will transform both how we see ourselves, but also how we see our relationship uh, with the world and what we are called to do. Paul's been explaining this in the first half of the lesson. You often see this in St. Paul. He, he spends the first half explaining the doctrine and unpacking uh, the kind of the theology. And the second half, he moves into sort of practical application. How does it work? How does it work? And this is where we're picking up this morning. He's starting to unpack what does it look like to be the church? What does it look like to be a church that is called and shaped by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? And it seems to me that there are two things that he picks out from the verses that we had read, broadly speaking. Uh, The first is a church that's shaped by grace is a church that has unity. The second is that a church that's shaped by grace is a church that's growing in maturity. Unity and maturity. And I just want to spend the next few minutes looking at uh, those uh, two concepts as St. Paul explains them for us. So let's have a look at the first, shall we? Uh, Unity. And I find those in verses 1 uh, through to 6 in this uh, passage. Uh, It's always a problem, isn't it, when people's lives don't match up to their lips. It's a problem in the church. You know, there are plenty of stories of naughty vicars around. The press loves a naughty vicar, uh, just as they love a naughty politician who's not doing what he's supposed to do. There's uh, there's something about that. We don't like hypocrites. And St. Paul doesn't like them either. He says that he wants the church to live lives worthy of the calling that we have received. And you can see that in verse 1. We've received this grand calling as the people of God. Therefore, live it. Live it out. Let your lives match your lips. Let the lives live up to reality. You're called in grace to be the unified people of God. And in these first six verses, he shows us firstly how that unity is going to be achieved, but also what the foundation for that unity is as well, what it's built upon. So how will unity be achieved? Well, Paul's answer is that it's not through committees, as we sometimes think it might be, but it's through character. It's through growing more like Jesus in our godly character. Uh, There are lots of things he says, so I just want to pick out three of them. Uh, he says, first and foremost, that we're called to be completely humble. Uh, we don't live in a world where humility is particularly valued, do we? Uh, it's all about thinking big of ourselves, uh, getting everyone to see how wonderful we are. It's just as true in the ancient world. The ancient world had no concept of humility, really, until, the, until Christianity uh, came along. Uh, for the ancient world, to be humble was to be a slave. It was to be a nobody, a nothing. Uh, to be somebody who the world had completely forgotten about. And yet St. Paul says that's the first quality that we need for unity. Be completely humble. Of course, uh, as C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Difference, isn't there? And we need that if we're going to be unified. We need to be humble. To think of our own uh, needs uh, less, to think of others uh, first. Uh, What else does he say? He says that we need to be patient Again, verse 2. Uh, once again, patience, that's a virtue, isn't it? That's very, very undervalued in our society. We want everything now. Uh, we can't uh, wait at all. We want everything to be fixed and everything uh, to be solved. And yet the Bible encourages us to grow in patience. And we'll need patience if we're going to be unified. Uh, the Bible has lots of words for patience. The one that Paul uses here is specifically referring to patience with people, with each other. 
And if you've been in church for any length of time, you'll know how desperately that's needed. There are always people we don't get on with and people we get impatient with and we get cross with. And yet we need uh, patience. There'll be many times when we get frustrated. But it's when we give vent to those frustrations then the unity gets ripped apart. We need to be patient with one another. Uh, Above all, says Paul, going on at the end, he says uh, we need to bear with them one another in love. Uh, Love is the key. Again, the Bible has lots of different words for love, uh, that it's sort of depending on, on the usage. The, the, the word that it uses here is agape love. It's the Christian love, sacrificial love. It, it means the love that, 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 that will give up anything for the good of somebody else. Uh, we often think, don't we, of, of falling in love, as if you don't really have no choice about it. I just fell in love with someone. I saw them across the room, and I fell in love with them, and that was it. Uh, this kind of love is, is not like that. It's not just a kind of being swept off our feet. It's actually a choice. It's a decision. It's, it's a choice to love somebody who perhaps is not as lovely as we might hope they were. Paul says that unity depends on those things. Humility, patience with one another, love for one another, sacrificial love uh, for each other, giving things up for the benefits of others and for the, the body of Christ. And, of course, all those qualities are exemplified in our Lord Jesus, aren't they? Now, think about it. He, he is the perfect example of what it means to be humble. He didn't stand on his rights as the Son of God. He left the throne of heaven to come and live among us as one of us, bearing in the, the shame and humility of living in a broken world. He's the perfect example of patience, isn't he? Uh, he never gives up on us, even though we are so often unfaithful and so rebellious. And he's the bubble, the perfect example of sacrificial love, isn't he? Dying on the cross for our sins. That is agape love at its highest. Uh, Not stinting in any way, but dying on the cross uh, so that we could be forgiven and we could be God's people again. And actually it's Christ who, by his Holy Spirit, works those qualities into our lives as well. We'll all know that we fall short in so many different ways. But it's the work of Christ, by his Spirit, to grow those qualities in our hearts, so that we might be unified as his church uh, here at Holy Trinity. But if that's the means by which unity happens, uh, uh, Paul says here there's also some foundational stuff, the foundations on which unity goes. Because unity flows not just from our hearts, but from our heads. It depends on what we believe. And you can see that in verses 4 and 6, can't you? He says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Uh, Ultimately, Paul says, we're unified because we're the body of Christ who confess a common gospel faith. Uh, Many people ask us why in in the Church of England uh, we we stand and we declare our faith every week, almost as much as we do. Uh, And the reason is is very simple. It comes straight from these verses. We do it because we know that our unity is not just a matter of feelings, but it's a matter of facts. It's what we believe and it's what unites us. We're united in our shared belief in the gospel that has been handed down to us in God's word. We worship the true God, three and yet one. Uh, we, 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 we share the same spirit. Uh, all who are joined to Christ share in his Holy Spirit. Uh, we, uh, we share one faith, that faith of Jesus Christ crucified and risen. We share one baptism, says Paul. The the sign that we've been washed clean and we are partakers of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. 
Now, that's not to say, and Paul isn't implying that somehow that we, might, we will all think the same on every single issue. Uh, we won't. We know that if we were to do a straw poll on all kinds of contentious issues here this morning, we know that there will be differences of opinion. And that's okay. We expect that. But Paul does say that on the essentials, yes, we're unified. We are of one mind. Uh, there is uh, one uh, body and one spirit who's called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Uh, a helpful rule of thumb, I think, is given by a very old theologian called uh, Rupert Meldanius. He used to say that on necessary points, unity, on the questionable points, liberty, and in all things, charity. That's a good rule of thumb, isn't it? On the necessary things, the gospel truths, yes, we are unified. On the issues where, yes, there's perhaps the scriptures are not quite so clear. Yes, we can allow some freedom, some liberty. But in all things, charity, love, patience, humility gentleness. Uh, Just last week, someone was uh, commenting to me after the service that they felt that Trinity was feeling particularly unified at the moment. And I think I'd agree with them. Uh, I I think I would agree with them. I think we are going through a phase in the life of the church where we do feel unified. And I don't think that's just a a feeling. I think that's true. There is a sense of being one mind uh, in, in, in the gospel. It's something to celebrate. It is something to give thanks for. But it's also something that we pray would continue as well. And we know that if it is going to continue, then, then both of those things have to be present. We have to have a unity of hearts, in the sense that we have to treat each other as the Bible tells us we should do. But we also need a unity of our heads as well, don't we? We need to be united on the same page, on the same gospel truths that we confess. Uh, it struck me this week that uh, Paul tells us, and you can see this in verse 3, that we are to make every effort to keep this unity of the bond of the Spirit. Uh, It is the work of God's Holy Spirit, of course it is, as he works uh, through us uh, by his grace in our hearts. But it also requires us to play our part as well. We're to make every effort in this. And I want, first of all, to to ask you, what do you think that looks like for you? What do you think it looks like to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? Uh, I think so often, um, actually, uh, as evangelical Christians, we are very, very good at dividing. Uh, we, we love eating our own. We love seeing, uh, uh, pointing out where we d- differ from each other uh, and, uh, and pulling apart some things. Uh, Paul challenges that. He says we're to make every effort to keep the unity of the bond of peace. Uh, what will that look like for you? What will it look like for me? Uh, what will it look like uh, to grow in patience and love for each other as a church family? Uh, what will it look like to be, to be wary of dividing over things that actually, ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, are not important? What will it look like to be sure on the essentials, to make sure that we are unified on the things that really matter? I don't know. But a church transformed by grace, says St. Paul, is a church that is unified, is holding together. Well, let's look secondly at uh, maturity, because a church that's shaped by grace is a church that is growing in maturity. Uh, Paul has been telling us that, uh, that if we're, we're, we're Christians, we're called to live lives that are worthy of the calling that we have received. And of course, central to that calling is that we are unified. And yet again, if you've been in church for any length of time, uh, you will know that there's still some way to go. Uh, we're all works in progress. Every church is. Uh, there'll be moments when we pull apart, there'll be t- ways in which we could be more unified and we could be growing more like the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So Paul says that secondly, alongside unity, the second evidence of a church that's transformed by grace is a church that is growing in maturity. It's making progress. It's becoming more like Jesus Christ. And that's what he unpacks uh, for the rest of that passage uh, that we read earlier. And I want to pick out a few things for us. Uh, Firstly, Paul says that growing in maturity depends on the fact that we have a giver. Depends on the fact that we have a giver. Uh, We can see that, can't we, in verse 7. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Uh, In his grace, the risen, ascended Lord Jesus Christ has given every single Christian gifts uh, for his service and for the service of the kingdom of God. Uh, Paul quotes here from the Psalms. It's Psalm 68. It's a a psalm about the return of a victorious king who comes in triumph, uh, having defeated his enemies uh, and uh, rescued his people. And it's a wonderfully rich and appropriate allusion, isn't it? Uh, We know as Christians that the Lord Jesus Christ is our risen, ascended king, our conquering king. He has overthrown the powers of sin and death. He reigns. He is victorious. And wonderfully, as part of his reigning, uh, he gives us his gifts uh, to serve him. But Paul says, secondly, that growing maturity not only depends on a giver, but it depends on those gifts that he gives being used. At verse 11, he says, It was he, so Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Uh, Paul gives four specific gifts there that Christ gives to his church. I don't think we should be sitting there thinking, well, I I don't have one of those, so I'm left out. Uh, I don't think this is a comprehensive list. Um, If you read through the New Testament, there are lots of lists of of gifts of the Spirit uh, that St. Paul uh, lists. But I think the thing is here that, that what he's explaining is that the thing that links those four gifts is that they are all gifts that are are related to the ministry of God's Word. You can see that, can't you? Uh, So the apostles were those who in New Testament times had heard the authoritative teaching of the Gospel uh, from the Lord Jesus and could pass it on to his church. They're the ones who wrote the Scriptures with the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The prophets were those who were able to apply God's word to the the hearts of the people. Uh, Evangelists are those who would go out, they would speak the gospel to people, they have a particular gift of uh, of encouraging people to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, And then we have pastors and teachers, which I think probably belongs together. Uh, Pastors are those who build up the body of Christ through the teaching ministry of the church. What links them all together is uh, the word ministry. Uh, Paul is saying that central to a church growing in maturity is the ministry of God's word. It's it's, it's the the people who have been gifted by God in all different ways uh, who take God's word, who explain it clearly and faithfully and apply it to people's hearts and God by his Holy Spirit takes that word and he does his work among his people and builds them up. As God's word is explained and applied in a church family, that's the way that we grow more like Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us, doesn't he, that when that happens, the church will be equipped, he says. Uh, Prepared, or I think um, other translations uh, say. Prepare God's people, equip God's people for works of service that the body of Christ uh, may be built up. Uh, It happens so that all of us can serve, all of us can build the church up uh, even more. 
what a mature church looks like, Paul, uh, it gives us some pointers, doesn't he, from uh, verse 13. Uh, we might expect this. A mature church, he says, is unified. He says it will be, uh, we reach unity in the faith. Uh, united in the faith in terms of what we believe, in our trust of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, united in our knowledge of what he's done and who he is. Uh, he says a mature church will be stable. And you can see that, can't we? Verse 14, he says one result will be that we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth uh, and, uh, by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Uh, he knows that a, a, a church that's mature will be a stable church. It won't just follow fads or be deceived by false teachers. It will keep going. It will keep charting the course of the gospel and remain uh, faithful to God's word. Above all, he tells us, a mature church is a holy church. Uh, verse 13 again, he says that we will attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Uh, again, at the end, he says, uh, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. Uh, that is Christ. We will become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, people will look at us and they will see the Lord Jesus in all his beauty and in all his glory and all his majesty in his people. We will reflect uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a mature church, says Paul. United, holy, and, uh, and stable. Well, that's all very well. What might it mean for us here this morning at uh, Holy Trinity Church? Well, as I was preparing this week, I think that there are several things that I think uh, I want to reflect on and spend the, the, the rest of this sermon uh, thinking about and teasing out how these verses might apply to us in our life uh, here as a church. And the first is very, very simple. In fact, it's almost blindingly obvious. Uh, it's just that we are a work in progress. Um, I was just very struck by this this week. Uh, Paul clearly expects that as a church, we're going to have some ways in which we need to grow. We're not the finished article by any way. Uh, so often, I don't know about you, but I get frustrated when uh, it feels like as a church we're not where I think we would like to be or where I think the Bible would be calling us to be. And in one sense, it's okay to be frustrated. We want to see growth. We want to become more like uh, the church that God wants us to be. But it's also part of us accepting that there's a way to go in that. We are a work in progress. There are areas in which we need to grow. There's an old church, a joke, isn't there, that said, I mean, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. And there's a certain truth in that, isn't there? Because there isn't a perfect church. Every church has still got areas in which it needs to grow. Uh, and uh, we should be praying, shouldn't we, that the Lord will show us our weak spots. Maybe it's that we need to grow in love for each other or love for our community. Maybe it's just that we need to grow in, in, in kind of unity. We need to stop falling out over things. Maybe it's that we need to be more stable. Maybe it's that we just need to be more holy. We need to be more like the Lord Jesus. I don't know what it is. But the Lord, I'm sure, will put our, our finger, uh, his finger on, on it, I think. But the second thing that struck me from these verses is very much related to that. And it's this, that, that Paul seems to expect that if we're a work in progress, then we will actually be making some progress. <laughs> we won't just be staying in the same place, but we will be growing. And I think that's the impression we get uh, from these verses. We will be growing in maturity as a church. It isn't God's plan that churches just kind of plateau out and sort of reach a certain standard of holiness. They're, kind of, they're way vaguely where they should be, and they just kind of you know, um, stay on, a, on, on some kind of plateau. Uh, nor is it worse that they somehow kind of get worse again, and they go backwards. Uh, it seems to me that the plan of God is for a church to keep growing, more like Jesus Christ. 
And therefore, we can't simply kind of sit back and pretend that this is unimportant. It's so easy, particularly if we've been Christians for a, for, a, for a long time, I think, for us to sort of think, well, I've kind of reached a certain standard. I, I don't do anything really bad. There's a few areas which I know are a bit of a struggle for me, but that's okay. Like, it's just always going to be an issue. We're to constantly be striving to grow more like Jesus Christ with his help. Uh, we, we can't just kind of stay still. Uh, we can't, as a collective body of Christ, either just keep looking back to how God has grown us in the past. And again, that's always a temptation for us, isn't it? It's a temptation whether we're Christians, uh, you know, individual Christians. It's a temptation uh, for us in the church. It's right to look back and give thanks for the way that God has used us and he's, when times of particular growth when we've been aware of that. But we want to see more of that in the future. We want to keep growing. Uh, growth in maturity, I think, is an inescapable part of God's plan uh, for his church. Uh, my guess is deep down we know this. Really, it makes sense. But it's good to be reminded of it, isn't it? Because I think we can forget that. Uh, God wants us to become more mature, to keep growing, not just to plateau out. Uh, Thirdly, uh, I think Paul says that if growth in maturity is to be expected, then Paul also expects that all of us will be involved in that growth in maturity. Uh, He tells us, doesn't he, that the reason that Christ, the risen ascended Christ, gives gifts to his church is not so these, these gifted people do it all, but it is to equip or prepare, as our translation puts it, God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Uh, the reason the ascended Christ gives gifts to his church is to, to equip uh, his body, uh, to serve and to grow. Uh, a, a healthy church is not a church where the, the rector does it all, or the rector and a few acolytes do it all, and everyone else just kind of leeches off them. That's not how it works. The Bible says that the the, the reason that God gives gifts to his church is for all of us to take our part and our share in that. Uh, Just the other week, I was was watching, I switched on the TV, and I was watching a documentary about Jimmy Hill uh, that was on television. Now, I knew almost nothing about Jimmy Hill apart from his famous chin. Um, But I was amazed to discover that back in the day, he was quite a revolutionary uh, coach and manager. He was the manager of Coventry City, uh, I think, and he was what one of these funny people called a player manager in Coventry City. So he was a player. He played for them on, on, on Saturdays in the team. But he was also the manager. And they had a great interview with him. And, and he said, you know, the thing I love most of all about my job is, getting, is, is going up to the training ground, pulling on a tracksuit and getting stuck in. And, you know, I was reading that. I was, I was watching that and thinking, you know, that's a really good example. That's really what, what a pastor is involved, actually. And that's a great illustration of a pastor. Actually, it should be somebody who is, yes, he's helping the team to get better, the church to grow, but it's somebody who's digging in, he's got his tracksuit on, and, uh, and working hard so that we can grow. Uh, maybe another illustration, if football doesn't do it for you. Uh, we're, it's, we're supposed to be an orchestra and not a bus. Uh, when I was at school, I was in the uh, third violins. Uh, I was a very, very poor violinist, and I sat at the back. And one day, I remember sitting there and thinking, I'm making absolutely no difference at all. So I have to confess, for one rehearsal, I stopped playing. I just kind of mimed it the way through uh, to make it look like I was kind of doing it, but I wasn't actually playing any of the notes. Uh, and I thought no one had noticed, and the conductor came up after me and had spotted it. And he took me aside, and I was a bit frustrated, a bit cross, and he says, we need you, because the part that you play is important. It adds to the whole thing. That actually, the, 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 amazingly, uh, it seems, I don't, I don't know why, where he thought this was coming from, but he thought the music was enriched uh, when I played. <laughs> and it's the same in the church, isn't it? 
I guess all of us can sit there and think, well, I'm in the third violins. It's making no difference whatsoever. I'm not going to do it. I'll let the firsts uh, carry on and do their thing. But that isn't how it works. All of us have a part to play, whatever it happens to be, in growing in maturity. And that's the question I think we all have to be asking ourselves, don't we? What's my part in this? What's my part? What am I gifted in? Uh, What has the Lord called me to do? How can I contribute to growing uh, more like Jesus Christ, uh, to our church, becoming more like the church that the Lord wants it uh, to be? Uh, Lastly, and very simply, I think it's worth just dwelling on the fact that uh, the central way in which God equips us is through the ministry of his word. And Paul's very clear from that. We've sort of seen how the gifts are word gifts. Now, I think when we hear that, we instantly think, well, that means preaching, doesn't it? Oh, it might also mean kind of small groups uh, during, uh, during, during the week, but basically that means it's preaching. Now, of course, it is that. Uh, it is that, wonderfully, God in his grace uses the ministry of the word, as it's explained on Sunday mornings, uh, to equip his people. Yes, he does. And it's the same also in small groups as well. But it doesn't just mean that. Uh, it doesn't just mean Sunday sermons or small groups. I think Paul is implying here that actually God uses, uh, uses uh, the, the word of God at every level in the life of a local church. From when, uh, if we're after coffee, uh, having, after service having coffee, and uh, a verse pops into our mind, and we're able to encourage somebody who we're talking to uh, who's, uh, who, who, who's struggling in life. Or, or whether we're, we're meeting up, say, one-to-one, to read with another Christian who's not, uh, who's, who wants to grow and be matured. I don't think we should just think it's Sunday mornings or even small groups, although those things are important. But it's worth being reminded, isn't it, that really the way in which God grows his church actually is through his word. That's where the wisdom is to be found. God does his work in his world through his people, through his word, by his spirit. And that's the way it has always been. We know that, I think, at Holy Trinity, deep down. We have a wonderful heritage at this church of faithful Bible ministry. It's a great joy to stand up here on Sunday mornings. It's a great joy to uh, be out among you in the congregation uh, and to know that we know that we're a church who in the past have been shaped and transformed by God's word. We're doing so at the moment, and it will be so in the future. We know that, and yet it's so easy to forget it. It's so easy to drift off from that and think, well, that was then, this is now, something else is needed. It's not. God has always worked in the same way, by his word, uh, through his spirit. Uh, and I want to, to encourage us on that, not to forget it, uh, not to forget it, but to keep uh, digging into God's word, letting it transform our hearts, and critically obeying it, because that's how we'll grow in maturity. We're longing to be a church, shaped by grace, transformed into being the people that God has called us to be. Let's pray in the year ahead that it would be so. Let's pray, shall we? Oh God, we do thank you for this church. We thank you for, um, we know the church is, is not the building, but it's the people. And we thank you for the people down the ages who have been part of this church, who've responded to your call, uh, who've come to know you through the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit, at work through the faithful proclaiming of your word, whether that's uh, in the light, from the front, whether that's just uh, in, in, in private conversations in smaller groups. Uh, We thank you for that wonderful heritage. We thank you for the way in which you've used us. And we do pray that this picture that Paul holds out for us of the church that's shaped by grace will be true of this church uh, today. We want to be a church that's unified. We want to reflect your unity as the God who calls us. 
Uh, Please help us to grow in those areas, in any area that we need, whether it's patience with each other, loving one another, uh, bearing with one another. Uh, Please help us to grow unified in what we believe, to, to own it and to share it. And we pray that we would be a church that grows. We want to grow up into all things, into Christ who is our head. And we pray that you would use us, uh, as we do so, to reach many more, to become your people, uh, for your praise and glory. Amen.